Welcome to our classroom. In this space, we talk about education, which is inclusive of, but not limited to, what happens in schools. Education is taking place whenever and wherever we are willing to learn. I am your host, Roberto Germán, and our classroom is officially in session. Today's guest is Umi Modeste, a native of Brooklyn, New York, where she attended and graduated from the New York City public school system. She retired from that same school system in 2021 after nearly 30 years of service as a teacher and college and career advisor at City Ads High School, a unique public school in Manhattan. Umi is an active member of the Breadloaf Teacher Network, an international group of teachers who strive to provide innovative and engaging ways for their students to become stronger readers and writers. She's also the author of Because I Knew. Yes, 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 y'all. Happy to be with you once again. And if you love poetry, well... We're going to be blessed today. We have some words for you. We have some analysis and we have some how to introduce this in the classroom. And we have a special guest, my dear friend, a mentor, a sister, a person that has known me for more than 20 years so she knows the good, the bad, the ugly, but hopefully more good than bad Yay! and ugly. Umi Moleste with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here friend. with you. Yay! Oh, I've been looking forward to this. I think it maybe about a year ago, maybe a little longer. And Alice and I did an IG live where we identified some of the poems from your book that resonated with us and we broke it down a little bit. And and it was during last year, last April, during Women's History Month. And so here we are a little more than a year later and an opportunity to hear live indirect from the author herself, the author of because I knew and I loved the work that you shared with us, the, the words that you shared really spoke to my heart. And I'm honored to have the opportunity to have you on our classroom today to share your poetry, to read your poetry, but also to engage in some analysis, build some ideas and strategies around how they could bring this into the classroom and so we have three pieces that you're okay. going to share with us today. I'm ready too. I'm ready um, too. I'm ready. Here we go. First piece. The first piece is entitled, ¿Quién soy yo? ¿Quién es ella? You ask aloud. Sure that I won't understand. ¿Quién soy yo? I am the grandmother you don't acknowledge. La tía that you pretend doesn't exist. The one you no longer visit back home. ¿Quién soy yo? I am your sister, who yearns to stay connected, the one whose heart breaks each time you turn away. ¿Quién soy yo? I was your neighbor on South Union or 174th Street, 
before you move to Tower Hill or the Upper West Side, the one you ignore in Stop and Shop as you do your best to smile and chat with Karen down the aisle. ¿Quién soy yo? ¿Quién soy yo? I am you, the part of you that has not been bleached, straightened, and anglicized into oblivion, the part of you that doesn't need to habla español muy loudly in public to prove that you're not a part of me. ¿Quién soy yo? I am your grandmother, your aunt, your sister, your neighbor, who still loves you and will accept you once again when you learn to accept your black self. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, sister, you speaking. You saying something here. Thank you for sharing. My pleasure. Where do we begin with this analysis? ¿Quién soy yo? What does that mean, first of all? That title, what does that mean? Why that title? Well, that title means literally, who am I? And this piece grew out of a conversation around identity and how we self-identify opposed to how people identify us and how people choose maybe to change their identity based on the situation in which they find themselves or the situation that they choose. So this piece started with a simple prompt. I am. That's how it started. I am. What does that mean? Who am I? I am. And then also I had an altercation, an actual altercation with women in the grocery store who were hablando español muy loudly, who were speaking as who were speaking Spanish very loudly and talking about me, mm. assuming that I did not understand a word mm. of what they were saying. And so the combination assumptions are dangerous. Assumptions are very dangerous. And so the 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 writing prompt happened in a workshop I was attending with Andover Breadloaf, which we can, I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, and, and that altercation came to mind and that was the genesis of that piece. Hmm. I'm sorry you had to go through that experience. I'm also grateful that it produced this wonderful work of art. Talk to me about the bilingualism in the piece. Mm. And are you a, a native Spanish speaker? If not, How'd you work the language so well? Because it, it was seamless going between the Spanish and the English. Well, thank you. That's a compliment. Thank you. I am not a native Spanish speaker. Spanish is my L3 or my third language. My first language is English. I'm born and raised in New York, though. So you got to learn some Spanglish, at least. Um, I also I studied Spanish in high school and in college and just like interacting with Native Spanish speakers, I've always wanted, no, I'm not even going to put that like in the past tense. I am always trying to improve my Spanish and get people to converse with me in Spanish so that I can improve my Spanish. And the reason for the use of bilingualism in the poem is 
because we make assumptions about what people's languages are based on how they look. And that will mess you up every time. So that's why I uh, chose to use both English and Spanish in the piece. Right. We, we need to suspend our assumptions. Right. And lead with curiosity. Right. Right. And just be open. You end this piece by saying, ¿Quién soy yo? I am your grandmother, your aunt, your sister, your neighbor, who still loves you and will accept you once again when you learn to accept your black self. Ay, ay, ay. With <laughs> a slap in the face. Well, that's, that's, that's relating to the colorism that exists. Talk to me. In, in communities of color. In communities of color, the, one of the results of uh, the legacy of slavery and colonialism is this hierarchy based on the color of one's skin. And again, back to the assumption that like the dark skinned lady with the little Afro can't possibly be a Spanish speaker. Who is she? Let me talk about her because obviously she's not going to understand because she's definitely not a Spanish speaker. And then the, the, that last stanza is really referring to the fact, unfortunately, that in communities of color, we have people who try to separate themselves from their Africanness, from their blackness, so as to be more accepted in the wider and whiter society. Mm. And so that's, that theme is throughout the whole poem, but that last stanza is really, is really about that. And just, um, the, the, an earlier stanza where I talk about bleaching, straightening and anglicizing, that's also what people have met, have, have done for many generations to try to whiten themselves in order to be accepted particularly in American society, but not only in American society, because that Im embedded, embedded self-hate about our blackness, our Africanness, that is the result of 400 plus years of oppression and setting whiteness as the standard and centering whiteness as everything good associated with whiteness and the further away you get from blackness, the better off you are. Such an important conversation, getting to blackness, understanding blackness, getting in touch with our African roots. Uh, and, and one that many people uh, do not necessarily engage in, but should. What are some simple ways that, we can bring more people into this conversation. And then I want to shift into strategies because I know you as a teacher and I know how exceptional you are as a teacher. And so for all my teacher followers, for, for all of our audience that are in, actively in the classroom, what are some strategies that you want to offer them? This piece is one of several pieces that I've used in the classroom with social studies teachers. 
where we have co-taught units on the history of oppression, the history of slavery, and on identity and how our identities have been so deeply impacted by colonialism and by slavery and how we can undo that trauma to our selves and to our identities. So for example, I had students, I had students research their names, the origin of their names, who named them, Mm, where did their first name come from? Where did their last names come from? And then had them write the story of their names, the real, the actual story of their names, if they could find that, if they could get that information by talking to elders in their family, by talking to elders in their community. Now, for some students, that's not possible. I had them also, I gave, also gave them the option of fictionalizing the story of their name, make up a story that explains why your name is whatever your name is, and then talk about how that's connected to your identity. What is the relationship between your name and your identity? And I always close it out with, if you were going to change your name, if you had to change your name, because you know, some kids you say, well, if you were going to change your name and they right away come back with, I would never change my name. Okay. Okay. But the assignment is, <laughs> right. the if. assignment is to use your imagination. If you, so then I would say sometimes to them, if you had to go into witness protection, what name, <laughs> that's a good one. You know, what name would you choose and why? And then they had to explain the relationship between the name they chose and the identity that went with that, went with that name. Another layer that we would add, and all of this ends up with a little chapbook to share with the rest of the school. Uh, another, another angle that we took with that was to guess, to guess, to talk about the assumptions we make how we look around the room and say, oh, that one, he must be Chinese. He certainly doesn't speak Spanish. Oh, that one, he's African-American. He definitely doesn't speak Russian. And being in New York, which is where I spent my entire teaching career, you have a little bit of everybody. So it was very enlightening for the students to admit the assumptions they were making and then have those assumptions destroyed. Love it. Love the fact that our learners are being pushed to think critically about these topics, about the concepts, about themselves, about their history, their origins. You mentioned that this was co-taught yes. in social studies. Yes. Correct? Yes. Do you see opportunity to do some interdisciplinary work with this piece? I believe that there is a way to use poetry, to use literacy, to use literature in every aspect of teaching, math, science, social studies. Social studies and English are just a natural pair. 
just a natural pair. The better you read, the more you read, the more you learn, the more you know about the world, the more you can write about the world. And uh, when I was teaching in New York City, my students had a very wide range of literacy skills. So working with the social studies teacher to talk about and read about concepts that my students could relate to also helped build their literacy. And then to use a poem such as this is something that they can all relate to. It is not uh, the, the literacy level necessary to read and understand this poem is not very high. Is The poem is deep, but the literacy level is not that high. So it was accessible to my students. And because again, it was New York City, they have all had similar experiences with people making assumptions about them or them making assumptions about other people. I I remember clearly a student, a student who identifies as Jamaican American saying that she was in a nail salon and the ladies in the nail salon were talking about her in Mandarin, assuming she didn't understand because she was black, but they didn't know her grandfather was Chinese and that she was very fluent in Mandarin. And and that's right. And that's one I never would have even thought about, never would have thought about it. But she listened to everything that they said and then came back at them in their native language. Good for her. I know. Good for her. We're so terrible sometimes. Yes, to each other. You know, <laughs> human beings, we just, we can be the worst. Mm-hmm. And th- this is why it's important to have these conversations and put these things out there, shed the light, and lovingly challenge and encourage. And I feel that here. Yes. As always, your engagement in our classroom is greatly appreciated. Be sure to subscribe, rate the show, and write a review. Finally, for resources to help you understand the intersection of race, bias, education, and society, go to multiculturalclassroom.com. Peace and love from your host, Roberto Germán.